Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. Um, it's, uh, and I cannot, somebody said this morning, 2022 went really quickly. And uh, um, I can remember being told that by my parents. That, just wait. Time starts going fast. And I thought they were just weird. Um, but it's certainly true. In fact, um, uh, it's, it's not just a new year. Uh, each new year, uh, Kelly and I get to celebrate another year here with you. And so we're beginning year four here at Lindsay Lane East, which is just crazy for me to think about. Um, the fact that uh, my kids were six and almost four. They were six and three when we came here. And they're nine and almost seven now. Daniel turned seven this week. So um, that seems crazy for me. Uh, but... But what, I'm, I'm ready to hit the, hit the, hit the ground running this year. Uh, we'll be sharing in January. Uh, I'll be sharing just some things with you. We're going to kind of go back and, and kind of, uh, restructure some, or reframe, uh, our mission, vision, and some goals for 2023. So, uh, you're going to want to be here. Please be here every, uh, Sunday in January as we walk through those things. Uh, it's going to be really, really important for us as we set the groundwork for the next few years. Um, so that's going to be fun. But for today, 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18. Uh, I'm going to talk about a healthy perspective of life and leadership. And I think, uh, I think it's important for us that, as we begin this year to kind of think through what a, what a healthy perspective looks like. And so uh, we talked about some through our Advent series that we did uh, in December. Uh, we talked about a guy named Hezekiah. His name come up a few, came up a few times. He was the baby that was born during a season in which the prophets were looking for the Messiah to come. He was a baby who was born, who wound up being on the throne. It was believed that he would be the king who would strengthen the nation of Israel and would restore the spiritual direction of the nation by having a, by finally having a spiritual leader on the throne who was like David. And so everything was about to change, so they thought. I'm going to show you this morning uh, who Hezekiah truly was. He starts off well. There's some good things that happened. But by the end of his life, we're going to see um, that he was certainly not the Messiah um, because of some decisions that he made. But uh, but I think there's some good lessons for us to learn from his badness. And so what I, the reason we're going to look at him is I want for myself to be able to recognize when my perspective is off. And I want you... As, as a member of Lindsay Lynn East to be able to recognize when your perspective is off. And I want you guys to be able to look at our leadership as a church and call us to the carpet when our perspective as a church is off. And so we're going to go through this today. Uh, we're going to look uh, at a lot of things. Uh, it's not going to be anything to probably blow you away, but I pray that you are built up through the proclamation of God's word. Uh, warning, though. Okay? Warning, warning, warning. Warning, Will Robinson. Listen. As I was writing this message, I was really focused on the personal and spiritual and church aspect of things. However, I would be crazy not to acknowledge that there is a certain political aspect to the message today. Okay? Hear that? As we talk through that, hear it and go, huh. Okay? But let the main... What I don't want Satan to do in this, in this time today is for you to only walk away with the political aspect of this. Okay? Let that speak to you if it needs to. But please hear the personal, the spiritual, and the church-wide application of this text today. And I know I've piqued all your interest, so here we go. Let's go. All right, here we go. Second Kings chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Um, in the, uh, I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to pray, and then we'll start working through it. Second uh, Kings 18, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of Israel's king Hoshea, 
son of Elah, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abba, daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes, in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the high places, shattered the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For until the Israelites were, uh, for until then, the Israelites were burning incense to it. It was called Nahushtan. Hezekiah relied on the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord God had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him, and wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its borders, from watchtower to fortified city. Let's pray over this uh, message today. Father God, we do thank you that you've given us the beginning of a new year. And God, I don't know what 2022 looked like for everybody here. Uh, God, I'm sure there are uh, there are victories and uh, and there are things that we wish to forget about 2022. But Lord, uh, we pray uh, for this fresh start, this new year, God, to be a, a more focused year. Uh, God, a year in which um, we have the right perspective uh, of life and the world around us. And and uh, God, that we keep our eyes focused on what you would have us to focus on. So today, God, um, as we study your word, I tell you, pray that you would teach us to know you today, uh, know your character and your nature and, and just who you are at a, at a deep level and what you would have for us. And God, also that you would be with us here as we study, because we know apart from your spirit, there is no understanding. And so, God, we ask you today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So at this point in Israel's history, uh, the people of God have become so dysfunctional um, that now there are two nations, uh, a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. This split, listen to this, this split happens with only the fourth king of Israel. Can you imagine that? Okay. The fourth king of Israel, who was Rehoboam, was David's grandson. Do you see how quickly everything that is worked for can crumble? You see, David sat on the throne of a united nation of Israel. He was, he was the second king, but really, you know, the first good one. And it was a strong, centered, it was centered spiritually in a lot of ways on God, yet three generations later it's crumbling and divided. Now you fast forward many roller coaster years, and Hezekiah comes to power as king of Judah. Uh, which was the southern kingdom, which uh, also contained the, the city of Jerusalem. And so during that time, one king would be good and lead the people back to worshiping God, and the very next king would be a terrible king and would lead them back to idol worship. In fact, when Hezekiah begins to reign, he has to clean up and clean out the, tem- the temple. Everything was such a mess. If you read through First and Second Kings, what you'll find is that this idol smashing was something that happened nearly every other king. One king would set up these altars to false gods, and the next king would have to go in and tear them down. Anyway, what we see in the text through this, uh, what's going on, is that Hezekiah carries this a step further. Hezekiah carries this to a level that no one was willing to carry it to to this point. Let me read verse uh, 4 again. Hezekiah removed the high places. These were places in which false worship would be lifted. He shattered the sacred pillars, which were a symbol of the worship, and cut down the Asherah poles, which were also false worship. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made. For until then, the Israelites were burning incense to it. 
Now, if you don't know this story, it's a very interesting one. (laughs) Um, Many generations earlier, after Moses leads the people out of Egypt, uh, the people rebel against God um, and Moses, and as a means to lead them to repent of their sins and to return to God, God sends venomous snakes into their tents. And it makes my skin crawl too. I get it. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons I want to worship and serve God with my life. Not that God would use venomous snakes again. I don't know. But just in case. No. Um, but this is what happened. He sends these. And what happens, it leads to many falling ill and some even dying. And so what happens is the nation responds. They come before God and Moses and they show true signs of repentance. They're like, take the snakes away. We're sorry. We've messed up. We repent of all that. Please, we want to serve you. The snakes had served their purpose. But even after repenting, they repent and the snakes go away. But guess what? Some people are still sick. Some people are still ill. God's answer is to have Moses make a bronze serpent attach it to a long stick and hold it up in front of the people. And God says that any who look at it will be healed of their illness. And guess what? It works. Like this is the creepy the Moses holds up this snake which in my mind doesn't have a good image, right? Like snakes not good in the Old Testament. But this is what God calls Moses to do and he holds the serpent up on the stick, and everyone who looks at it in faith are healed. And what if you read through the story, this is the first real mention of it since. Since the thing was built. And what does Hezekiah do to it? Smashes that sucker. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? That Hezekiah, this new young whippersnapper on the throne crushing a piece of Israel's history. Something that who had made? Moses could not. He's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you've read the story. But did you notice why he felt so compelled to do this? You see, it says the people had been worshiping the serpent. They'd been burning incense to it. Who were literally making sacrifices to it. The author seems the author of the book seems to imply it's been going on quite a while. And so what that tells us is that over generations, this thing that began as a as a reminder of who God is has now become a, t- a thing of worship. And all the kings who had chopped down the Asher poles and had pulled down the high places, none of them had been willing to crush the serpent. None of them had been willing to do it. But Hezekiah steps in and is willing. And in doing so, he teaches us a vital point about a healthy perspective of life and leadership. Note takers, this is 1A-ish or something. A wrong perspective idolizes the past. You see, when we have a wrong perspective, we idolize the past. That's what all the kings up to this point had been doing. The serpent was more than a fond memory to the people of God in Hezekiah's day. It had become an idol. And Hezekiah knew this, and so he was obedient to God, and he dealt with it. You see, listen to this. This good thing, this good thing that God had used during a good season of life for the people was kept, no doubt, as a reminder of God's faithfulness. 
For generations, it probably led people to worship God for his willingness to help his people. When they saw the snake, they would go, oh yeah, you remember that time when God did that crazy thing? Wow, God, you're so good. But over time, it became more. It became the thing that was worshipped. It no longer pointed to God. They worshipped the serpent. And this should take us back to garden imagery, right? Like when you see serpent, don't go, oh, that's just an animal that the... God picked it right. No, we got to go all the way back to Genesis 3. Here is a created thing, this serpent that is put up on a pole, a created thing, just like the serpent in the garden that was designed to bring glory to God, but instead is absorbing the attention and the worship of humanity instead of God. Just as Adam and Eve abandoned the truth of God to listen to the serpent instead, so God's people are doing it again, and nobody's willing to touch it. And we can be guilty of the same thing over and over again. We look back at a good season of life for us as an individual or as a family or even us as a church. And instead of those memories driving us to worship God, we wind up with a sense of worshiping the thing. We wind up worshiping the season or the circumstances of our past. I'll give you a weird example. Because it's personal and I'm weird. Uh, It has more maybe to do with church, I guess, but... I learned to play the guitar at the age of 12 or 13-ish. Um, and, uh, man, for me, it was a pivotal moment in my life because it's the moment in which God began to use me for ministry. I started leading uh, worship in our youth praise band, and I quickly became the leader of that group, though I can't sing. Um, but I was still the organizer. It's my first leadership role in the church. It really began a fruitful season that literally lasted several years of consistent spiritual growth in my life. God used the guitar and those, looking back, not so great worship songs of the 90s and early 2000s. Some of you were in youth group in those days. But God used the guitar and those worship songs as a big part of growth in me. And for a while, those songs and being led on guitar in worship was this reminder of that growth period in my life. But what quickly began to happen was I began to discredit a more, form, a more traditional form of worship, which was tough because that's the church I was in. We sang hymns and we sang them to piano, which to me had become garbage. No, you don't sing hymns, they're garbage. You don't play, you shouldn't, why is there not a guitar on stage? Boo! Like that's, that's where I was. You see this? It wasn't real worship to me. Do you see how this good thing that God had used in my past had become a sin in my life? So, I tell that to say, and I know that's kind of like a churchy example, but we could go a hundred other directions with our own personal life. What I began to realize in my heart is that I had to be willing to crush the serpent. I had to be willing to address the sin that was in my mind. And the way I did that was to remind myself is that God is the one that grew me. Like the guitar did nothing. The worship songs did nothing. God, God used a particular thing in my past. And maybe for you, he's used particular church programs or people to do that in your past. But God doesn't give validation to those things. Only God's ability to change lives. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted Apollos water, but it's God who gives the growth. Man, it's nothing. 
Things are nothing. Programs are nothing. Churches, in one sense, are nothing because it is all God who gives the growth. Does that make sense? A few of you nodded, so we're going to keep rolling. This is important to grasp. So I want to ask each of you individually to consider, what are those things that I need to keep in check? What idols do I have in my past? What idols do we have as a church? If we discover some, we need to smash those suckers. Smash them to the ground by being reminded that God is the only one who can give the growth. So I'll rephrase a right perspective this way. A wrong perspective idolizes the past. A right perspective glorifies God for the past. Amen. So Hezekiah gives us this incredible picture of great leadership where he's, he's willing to touch the untouchable. But later in his life, he makes some bow-and-headed decisions, as most of us do at some point in our life, and they show pride and ignorance and arrogance. At the end of Hezekiah's life, he teaches us a lesson at his own expense. See, a wrong perspective idolizes the past, but a wrong perspective also settles in the present while ignoring the future. Read the, this is, so we're just flipping over like two pages, Second Kings chapter 20, to get to the end of Hezekiah's life, which is a great reminder. His whole life lasts two pages. Just a reminder, y'all. We got a minute here on earth. Let's make something of it. Second Kings 20 verse 16, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your descendants who come from you, whom you father, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought... Why not if there will be peace and security during my lifetime? I don't know if in the entire Bible there is a more scarier verse than that right there. You see, Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Bible, comes to speak to Hezekiah, or he comes to speak to him and he says... Like he's prophesying, man, man, like we're on the wrong path. Like there's things that are going to happen in our future because of our disobedience in the past and even in the present. And, and this is where we are. And like it's going to be bad. Bad days are coming. Your sons are going to have it rough. God's bringing judgment on his people. And nothing will be left of your, of your, your palace and your, your history and, and what people remember about you. And Hezekiah responds, great. As long as it doesn't happen in my day, I'm good. Like, let that sink in. That's a sick statement. That's a, that's a, I can't think, sick. I just said, like, that's, you see, for Hezekiah, he had a great thing going. Second Kings gives us a glimpse of some of the wealth and power, but Second Chronicles was just kind of like a parallel book, which is telling us uh, some of the same stories. Tells a succinct description of his kingship. This is chapter thirty-two, verses twenty-seven through thirty. Hezekiah had abundant riches and glory, and he made himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and every desirable item. He made warehouses for the harvest of grain, new wine, fresh oil, stalls for all kinds of cattle, and pens for flocks. He made cities for himself, and he acquired vast numbers of flocks and herds for. 
God gave him abundant possessions. This same Hezekiah even blocked up the upper outlet of the water from the Gion Spring and channeled it smoothly downward and westward to the city of David. Hezekiah succeeded in everything he did. You can see that the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah was a better place with Hezekiah as king. We talked some about the spiritual and religious reforms that he brought, but now even financially. like, And we got water. Praise God, we got fresh water in the city. That's cool. What more could we ask of a king? However, it seems that Hezekiah has become consumed with the present. His present state had become an idol to him, and he just wanted to live in it as long as he could. And if that focus on the present meant bad days for future generations, he didn't care. He just wanted peace in his day. Let's not look to the future. Let's just enjoy what is right here. Now let me say this. Let's, before we get into doing deep there, there's a certain level of truth to this that we need to hear. Because way too many people don't enjoy the present. Way too many people don't enjoy the present. Whether it's, whether it's uh, out of a fear of the future, right? Or whether it's uh, just rooted in something else. We don't slow down long enough to see those around us and let alone spend time with them. Quality time. We're always looking towards some future financial goal or some career goal so that everything in the present is simply a tool that gets us to the goals. Relationships are not real. They're leverage. Families become a hindrance. Do you see all this? God help us. Have you seen this in the lives of other people? That's always easy to answer, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about my boss. Let me tell you about my neighbor. Let me tell you about my sister. Let me tell you about my brother. Let me tell you about my mom, my son, whatever. So answer that. Feel good about yourself for a minute. Now I'll ask a follow-up. <laughs> Have you at least seen glimpses of this in your own life? You see, a wrong perspective settles in the present or ignores the present. But what I want to reword our right perspective this way. You see, a right perspective enjoys the present while looking towards the future. You see this difference. So we cannot settle in the present at the expense of the future, but there is a certain enjoyment that has got to happen in our present to be obedient to God's call in our life as believers, to love those well around us. We've got to keep the present in the right perspective. Sort of reason I thought about a person that gets a big tax return back. I love that time of year, don't y'all? Unless you have to pay and then it stinks. Which is pastors, there's like a whole tax thing around pastors that someday you can ask me about but it sometimes we have to pay money sometimes a lot of money and that's fun um but do you, when you get that tax return back you blow it all on a new car a boat or some crazy vacation only later to lose your job or need surgery that insurance doesn't fully cover right like we're we're we forsake we forsake the future by by only enjoying the present without looking to the future i have a church example of this from my previous church right Back in 2014, God had grew my, my previous church to the, the largest in its history. On Easter, there were over 400 people packed into that place, which was crazy for this little, this, this small, start off as a family church. 
They were seeing an incredible growth, but the church had started plateauing and they hit a wall and actually shrunk back down. Looking back at that period of growth, the pastors that I got the opportunity to work with would tell you, and I'm on live stream and they could, whatever, they'll tell you today, they just got content. The place was full and we were pumped and we we were making no plans for the future. And I don't mean budgets and buildings. I mean, they weren't asking the question, how can we connect all these people in a small group? How are we going to allow all these people to serve in some capacity? How can we effectively see people discipled in our church? Like These are healthy questions that they weren't asking until they were too late. It's part of the reason why they hired me, which is fun. You see, in the same way that people had come, they began to leave. There's no plan in place to help them get connected. Many of the new people and some of the old ones got lost in all the people and eventually went away. There's just this short-sighted problem. And we can get there in our lives or we can get there as a church. We need a right perspective of the present so that we can enjoy it, but not settling into it at the cost of the future. why we do things a little different here at East. And it's why when, when some of you have come from more traditional environments, and I can always tell when you're here because of the questions you ask. Because you're used to church a certain way and there's things that are going to be different about this place. And it's not because we're just trying to be rebels. Blah! It's because we're trying to do things differently so that the next generation and the next generation and the next generation have a place here. You see, that's the, church, that's the fight that churches have to have. What happens is God blesses and there's one generation that really gets reached with the church. And then that generation grows older and older and older and older till the point that they have to shut down because they all die off. That's what happens in every church. That's why you can buy church buildings all over the country every week. And so we want to we want to continue to, we want to have good ministries for all age groups. We want to have good ministries for everybody that's here. But at the same time, we want to reach the next generation. We want our students and our kids to know that God is real. And that he loves them. And that he has called them to a high calling. And that they then will begin to reach out to their friends. And that the trend of a decreased percentage of Christians in every generation will cease in our community. Or at least slow down because of what God's doing here. So we're going to continue to do crazy, fun things to try to show our people in this community that serving God and loving Him is fun. It's one of the most fun things we get to do in life. Enjoy the present. Let's not settle in at the cost of the future. Hezekiah, no doubt, wanted to emulate the life of his great, 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 how many ever, granddad David. But y'all, he failed. He stunk it up greatly. And at the end of his life, he refuses to give focus to the future. Yet I want to show you David's. I want to show you the end of David's life. David did anything but that at the end of his life. One of my favorite stories. I grew up as a kid loving the story of David and Goliath. 
There's a speech that David gives right before he kills him. And I had it memorized as a kid, and now it's kind of more like a like a Heath's version of it. But David essentially says, Hey, you got you coming at me? Sword, shield, spear, you're looking tough. But I'm coming at you with one weapon. My God. The Lord God of Israel. And today, I'm I'm gonna feed your big old body to the birds. That's good. That's a that's a that's a pregame pep talk he gave himself. <laughs> However, that was my favorite David moment as a kid. It's no longer my favorite David moment as I get older. Now I realize that what David does at the end of First Chronicles is one of the most mature and beautiful uh, pictures of God and His grace and His mercy and His 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 power. David is transitioning his son to be king over the United Kingdom of Israel. And he spends his final days on the earth organizing every official, military leader, priest, Levite, musician, and doorkeeper of the temple. I mean, you can read it. It's the most nerdy, weird stuff. David's just working, organizing, doing all this stuff. But you know what's nuts? He's setting up all these people so that they can work in the temple. You know what they didn't have at this time? The temple. You catch this? David is is hiring and lining up money and he's doing all this stuff and they don't even have a temple yet. David's eyes are completely on the future. He's enjoying the present, but man, his eyes are focused there. So David gets all these these people lined up to serve in the temple before they had even built it because Solomon was going to build it. He even collected the materials that would be needed. He lines up the, the contractors who are going to do the work, the concrete guy, the wood guy, the whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Do you see the work he was doing for the future? But it gets better. Because when the time came for him to turn the crown over to Solomon, so many other kings always see is that he died and his son took the crown. The crown. But First Chronicles 29 says that he brings Solomon before the nation. And he charged Israel to believe in and follow his son. This is your king. Follow him. And then he looked to his son and he said, complete the temple and lead under God's headship. And then he prayed one of the coolest prayers over his son. Verse 19. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees, your statutes, and to build the building for which I have made provision. You see, this is working towards the future, ladies and gentlemen. David didn't coast like his great-great-great-great-grandson would do. He wasn't content with the state of the nation. He didn't seek his own preferences in the midst of it and just focus on himself. He didn't just focus on the needs of the people around him. He looked towards the future. God, I want to be a man like David. I want to be a husband like David. I want to be a dad like David. I want to be a pastor like David. I want to be a Christian in the way that David led. 
I want to be able to enjoy the present state that I find myself in, but still having my eyes towards the future. I want to help raise up the next generation, not just fuss about them. I want to invest in other people, not just looking for people to invest in me. Church, I want to be, I want to feed and not just be fed. You see this. David makes plans and exerts big energy to set the stage for the next generation. And what better thing to be said of our church? And us as individuals. You see, when it comes to the past, I want to celebrate it. I want to be able to look at times in my past that God grew me, and I want to celebrate it. But I want to not allow the details of that growth to become an idol or an expectation for the present. Those things are there to simply point me to to God who brought the growth to begin with. When it comes to the present, man, I want to enjoy it. Like I want people to, to who don't know Jesus to look at me and see a guy who is straight up enjoying life. Kelly and I don't drink or do drugs, but I want people to wonder, what in the world is that guy up to? Because that guy loves life. Like that's what I want to be known as. A person who is living life to the fullest in every way. But I want to keep the present in check in regards to the future. I don't want to enjoy my life so much right now that I can't make an impact for the future. I don't want to, to live in such a fear of the future that I can't enjoy the present either. I've seen that cripple some people as well. So do you want this for yourself? Do you want this right perspective going into 2023? I want it for myself and I want it for you and I want it for this church. I'm going to share more in the coming weeks, uh, the next sermon series we're going to go into is called First Things First. And hopefully, more clearly than ever before, I want to lay before you guys our mission, vision, and goals for 2023. And, uh, But also through this year, I've already got several kind of sermon uh, series ideas that are hopefully going to help us set right priorities as we live as Christians. Because I can't think of anything that Satan is trying to do more in our world right now than to just kick our priorities. If he can get our eyes looking somewhere else, prioritizing something else over our relationship with God, he's got us. He don't care if we worship it. He just wants it to take away from the worship of God. So over this year, we hope... Uh, as as a church staff to be able to to go into some things about what it looks like to have right priorities and help all of us grow in that but today as we've talked about this if if you need to spend some time praying over some sin that the message has brought up in you this next song we're going to sing is for that it's an opportunity for you to do that you can pray right where you are you can come and pray at this altar for yourself or other people that's good Some of you may have been looking wrong at the past or at the present. This song may be a time for you to worship God for what He's done in the past, to praise Him for the present that you're enjoying, or to ask Him to help you enjoy the present. And also, I can't think of a better thing for you to do on the first day of 2023 than if you don't know the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior, for you to trust in Him. That's a way to kick off the new year. If you've never trusted in the name of Jesus, I would love to share with you about how you can do it. I'm going to stand back at the back uh, during this last song. Just slide back there. 
Come talk to me. I would love an opportunity to share with you how I trusted in Jesus and how you can too and how everything will change for you. I'm going to pray, um, give you guys an opportunity to respond through this song. Again, the altar will be open for you to come and pray, but I'm going to, I'm going to pray and go back there. Father God, we thank you. Um, God, we do thank you for our past. God, I thank you for my past. That God, at a young age, you brought me to salvation. And God, you used men and women in my life. Um, God, that I thought were just like, I don't know, angels or something. Like they were just, I thought they were so good. And God, now I look back and realize they were just people. God, they were just people who were being obedient. And God, not even in everything, but just in obedient to invest in me. They were imperfect people just like I am. And God, you used programs. God, you used uh, you used music. God, you used abilities and gifts and and so many things. God, to bring me to where I am today. And God, I thank you for it. God, more than I think a church, more than I think people, more than I think systems, I thank you because it is you who gives a growth. I am the man I am today, first and foremost, because of you. God, we as a church are where we are today because of you. God, not because of anything I've done. God, not because of anything Andy John, our founding pastor, did before me. But you gave the growth to this place. In the hearts and lives of people that you grew. It's all you, God. And we pray for a continued blessing of God of spiritual growth in this place. That God, when we're looking back at 2024 kicking off next year, God, that we've got just a crazy amount of stories to tell about how faithful you've been to grow your people and to reach new people. God, help us to partner with you in that, to be obedient, God. Help us have a right perspective in 2023. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. Let's stand. Let's sing.